Have you ever imagined fashion being as diverse as human culture? Have you ever dreamed of a respectful, ethical, and socially just fashion industry? Have you ever envisioned sustainability being at the core of the entire fashion system? This is your host, Laura Beltran-Rubio. I'm a fashion curator, researcher, and educator. My mission is to translate scholarly insights into actionable strategies that we can all take to reshape how we create, wear, and think about fashion. So find a comfortable seat, brew some tea, and open your notebook as you join me in the quest for redressing fashion. Welcome back to Redressing Fashion. Before I start publishing new episodes, I've created a collection of what I call loose thoughts that I've been writing and recording over the past couple years. These short episodes contain many of my reflections as both a fashion scholar and a fashion consultant in Colombia as I try to unpack the complex legacies of colonialism in present-day fashion. Please give them a listen, visit my blog for full transcripts, and some images that might be helpful, and let me know what you think. I ended the first issue of, with a proposal to constantly think and rethink Latin American and Latinx fashion. We needed to strengthen the diverse expressions of fashion in Abiyala. I believe that a first step towards that aim is to redefine fashion from our local ideas and histories and from a deep knowledge of the diversity of cultures that have inhabited this territory since before the European invasion. Today, I explore one particular expression of fashion in Abiyala, though I must confess before I even start that this is not an easy task. As always, I understand the word fashion from an expansive point of view that rejects the hegemonic writing of fashion history, or what Jennifer Craig has termed the European dictator model of fashion. I build on the definition that I introduced last time, of fashion as a cultural construction of the embodied identity, and add some more specific expressions of fashion as, first, a situated bodily practice that is enmeshed within our social worlds and becomes fundamental in the constitution of microsocial orders, as Joanne Dwessel has argued. Second, an ordinary system of everyday life, which participates in the creation and performance of our fluid identities, as Cheryl Buckley and Hazel Clark have explained. And third, a non-verbal system of communication or sign language, as Roland Barthes and Alison Lurie, among other scholars, have claimed. All of these definitions, I believe, respond to what Jennifer Craig called the fashion impulse. She explains that this impulse has been an inherent part of humanity pretty much since our first group interactions as a species. In Craig's words, fashion should not be defined as exclusively the preserve of the culture of modernity, but other systems of fashion should be recognized and examined in their own terms. Such an examination has guided my own research, teaching practices, and even my public discourses on social media, at least since I started my PhD. In fact, understanding the development of fashion in Abiyala in its own terms has been the main motivation to write my dissertation, even before I knew I would be admitted into a PhD program. I want to see how fashion evolves beyond identifying when and how Latin American fashion becomes a quote-unquote bad or quote-unquote incomplete copy of European fashions, both historically and today. One of the objects, or two actually, that have opened more questions in my reflections on fashion in Abiyala belong to a famous series of human types from Quito 
signed by painter Vicente Alban and dated from 1783. Three women are represented wearing a splendid ensemble of chemise with lace trimmings, a faldellin, or A-shaped ankle-length skirt folded around the lower body and fastened with a faja or a sash, and a bolsicon, or a sort of apron-like bag worn over the abdomen. The quote-unquote quality of these women is denoted by details of the textiles, the richness of the trimmings, and the particular choices of fashionable accessories, which include jewelry, hats, and natural flowers. And by quality, I mean the social-racial classification of people during the colonial period, a term closely related, though not exactly synonymous to expressions like caste and race. A lot has been said about the strategies of representation in these paintings, but I'm interested specifically in the depictions of dress. What exactly are we looking at when we see the garments represented? How does it relate to what women wore on the streets of Quito? And what was the painter's intention when choosing to depict these women dressed in this particular style? Unfortunately, I'll never be able to ask Vicente Alban directly any of these questions. But I do think that the joint analysis of these paintings, archival documentation, and published chronicles of the time offer some initial ideas. First, the word fashion, or actually moda in Spanish, was already in use at this time to denote something similar to what we tend to identify with fashion today, something that has to do with the clothes currently in style and which suggests a certain preference for novelty and change. Second, fashion during the colonial period was closely related to the desire for a hierarchical society, where each echelon would be easily differentiated from others according to the styles of dress. This responded to both Andean and European ideals, but we cannot ascertain whether or not this hierarchy was actually valid. In fact, the popularity of sumptuary legislation, the written commentaries of foreign travelers, and even sermons from local priests reveal the contrary. Finally, for now at least, fashion was a tool that women used as a strategy for resistance, just like we do today, and the faldellin was central to this resistance. From an indigenous male gaze, it was associated with the indigenous women who betrayed her race and adopted the lifestyle imposed by European invaders. From the Spanish male gaze, it represented the prostitute who sold her body in exchange for quote-unquote favors. Yet women in Quito and its surroundings chose to dress their bodies in faldellines and construct their identities through them. It couldn't be a coincidence, right? I do have an idea of how to explain the preference for the faldellin among the women of Nueva Granada, but it is a bit too complex to share right now. I did write an article for Miradas on the subject, which includes a summary in English. I also spoke briefly about some preliminary exploration I did on this subject a few years ago in Unravel, a fashion podcast. At this point, though, I think that I have more questions than answers, especially on the subject of indigenous fashion and the indigenous, whatever that means, in fashion. And I might need to invite someone more qualified than me to address these topics, like Diana Molina, Anais Jukra, Jessica Metcalf, or Amber Dawn Bearrobe. But something that has incited my curiosity lately comes from my dive into luxury, more than fashion per se, through early colonial dictionaries of Muiscubun, the language of the Muisca that inhabited the northern Andean highlands. I came across a study that claimed that some of the Hispanic terms that were introduced into this language with the Spanish invasion were related to clothing, dress or vestido, 
cloth or paño, clothes or ropa, for example. Some of these might have denoted garments that were specifically Spanish or European, but I do wonder if there didn't exist some equivalent terms in Muiscubun or some that were close enough. Why then were these terms used in Spanish in communications between the Spanish invaders and the native Muisca population? Was it some sort of strategy of dominion and acculturation imposed by the invaders? Or could it be the reflection of Muisca ideas about fashion and dress? I haven't found yet the word moda or fashion in these publications, so I still have the question of what it could have meant to Muiscubun speakers even if or when they used a similar term in their own language. I promise to continue my exploration of this subject and report back as I have better formed ideas. For now, I close today's edition. Thank you, thank you for being here and for reading me. Don't hesitate to share your own reflections, ideas, and questions in the comments. In the next issue, I will write about the need to find our own local reference and aesthetics from Abyayala. Original podcast episodes will air starting on January 11th, 2024, so I hope I can entertain you with this collection of loose thoughts until then. And In case you want to subscribe to my email list to be notified when the first official episode goes live, I've left the link to join in the podcast notes for this episode. Thank you, thank you for tuning in. You know that I love a good conversation about fashion, so please don't hesitate to email me or message me on social media to continue discussing any of the ideas introduced in this episode. If you liked what you heard, please follow the podcast, leave a review, or share it with your favorite fashion friends. It does make a huge difference as we try collectively to build more spaces for thoughtful and nuanced conversations that can truly help us redress fashion.